poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Greetings and salutations, my friend. Welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. This is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on CPG is Tom Wheaton, who's the founder of Faded Spade, the official playing card of the World Poker Tour, and also the founder of Poker Marketing and Talent Agency Above the Felt, where he's put together a top-shelf roster of poker players including four-time WPT champion Darren Elias, the founder of Solve for Why and longtime friend of CPG Matt Berkey, WSOP champ Chris Moneymaker, and poker pro and WSOP commentator Jamie Kerstetter. This is Tom's second of what I believe to be many, many CPG appearances because the man is a hero to the entire poker community. You're about to hear just how passionate he is about growing and playing this card game we all love so much and how he's consistently putting his money and time where his mouth is. Because not only does he run two poker businesses, somehow without neglecting his family, but in today's episode, he's about to let you in on another major project he's somehow carving out time for that has the potential to reverberate throughout the entire poker universe before it's all said and done. In today's episode with Tom Wheaton, he's also going to share stories from his greatest poker hits collection, explain to you how he's able to play 5K and 10K tournaments despite being underrolled. He's going to tell you about the moment he felt he was genuinely a part of the poker community, and much, much more. So now, without any further ado, I bring to you poker player, business builder, and champion of poker, the founder of Faded Spade and Above the Felt, the one and only Tom Wheaton. Tom, welcome back on to CPG, sir. It's been a while. How you been? What's up, Brad? You know, just doing my thing, chasing poker greatness, as the title of the show is, I guess. And uh, it's been a whirlwind few months since I've last been on, man, but I appreciate the invite back. So what kind of poker greatness you've been chasing in this whirlwind of a few months? The last time you were <laughs> on, you know, you talked about your new agency above the yeah. felt and I'm, there's more things have been added to your plate since then. Yeah, it's been pretty wild, man. Um, so let's see, how have I been chasing poker greatness? Let's see. On the poker side, I actually, I started uh, playing in live tournaments again. Um, I know we'll talk about that later, but uh Getting into some of these World Poker Tour main main tour events has been something I've really aspired to over the last few years um, since I started my actual poker training back again and uh, was fortunate fortunate enough this year to have a, a deep run at the WPT uh, Seminole Hard Rock Tournament, um, finishing like 30th out of like 2,500 or something. So it was like a great experience to get that deep, you know, and experience that because I've never been that deep you know, um, and it's a different ball game, you know? And, uh, so that was great. I'm going to fire up a few more here in the next, you know, a couple months with world poker tour, both online, um, which we'll talk about. And then also, you know, for the WSOP, you know, coming up, 
And then on the business side, man, just trying to grow Faded Spade as much as I can, trying to, to grow the agency, which is, is ahead of where I thought it would be and, and the team thought it would be. Um, I could have told you that, Tom. I could have told you that the demand is going to be much higher, I think. When you, as soon as you were describing the idea to me, I was like, this makes sense, and this is a <laughs> giant need in the industry. It's you know it's slow and steady, but it's like it's it's past where I thought it would be after six months. And thanks for saying that, man. Um, and through that work with the agency, um, a couple of really great things have happened. So, one uh, for Darren Elias, who who you know is part of Above the Felt from a talent perspective, uh, we worked out a deal for him where he is becoming the brand ambassador of the Party Poker US Network, um, which. Uh, I know you asked me, what is that? And I know we'll get into that. And then while that was all going on, you know, some of the relationships I built with the people during that process, um, they've asked me to come be a poker marketing consultant for them uh, over the next uh, foreseeable future and, you know, help them what craft does that mean, their marketing well, consultant. Basically, basically, what they're asking me to do is they're asking me to come in and craft like all new strategic marketing plans for the Party Poker US Network, which is uh, Borgata Poker Online plus BetMGM Poker plus Party Poker New Jersey in New Jersey, right? Then in Pennsylvania, you've got BetMGM Poker and Borgata Poker Online in Pennsylvania. And then in Michigan, you've got BetMGM Poker. And all of that together is known as the Party Poker US Network. The parent company is BetMGM. So they're asking me to come in and help support their team and develop some new marketing plans in terms of how they expand in those markets. Why'd they go to and you? why they go to me? I think yeah. what, what they told me is when they realized like my corporate marketing leadership background in terms of doing this type of like leadership executive work um, in like the hotel and resort industry and the technology industry, and then I think they liked the fact that there was a blend of all this entrepreneurial experience in the poker industry over the last four years. And I think just how we got along during the discussions about bringing Darren on as a brand ambassador, I think that all came together and they were just transparent with me and said, you know, we have this need in the company and we think you could fill it. And I said, you know what, I would love to have that experience with you guys. And let's talk about making that happen. And it happened very fast. Um, and I'm really glad it happened. And the first order of business is to start marketing and promoting this big $1 million world poker tour guarantee, uh, tournament that's happening on the party poker U S network in New Jersey, which is September 19th. So, uh, the last two weeks have been fast and furious with developing those plans and executing those plans in partnership with world poker tour. And man, I'm loving it so far. And I just, I can't say enough great things about this company and just glad that they actually wanted to bring me on board to do it. So two businesses, not enough. You need some marketing consulting gigs on the side. What's your wife think of, of all these things, <laughs> these projects that you just take on? I think the last week and a half or two, my family doesn't like me very much, um, <laughs> but you know, they're supportive. Honestly, they probably have had enough of me over the last you know few months. Right. But um, yeah, the last couple of weeks, man, it's been a transition because it's delegating a lot of the faded spade work to my team who I really trust Couldn't do it without them there. Right. And then making sure that the time I'm spending is mostly on BetMGM and the party poker us network marketing consulting. And then a lot of what we do with the above the felt agency, um, you know, is 
we've got processes in place for that. And I've got some support, some support there. Uh, so really it's just the balance of transitioning what I was spending a bunch of hours of the week on and now spending, you know, more on, on this consulting yeah. project. Resource, just allocating your resources differently yeah. than before. Yeah. Um, but you know, look, I'm not gonna lie. The, the first two weeks of going through that, it's definitely been, uh, I've been in my office a lot more than I usually am. Yeah. I mean, so in my experience as an entrepreneur, building a brand and a business, I've one one thing that I've realized is like at the end of this journey, I'm going to have so many skills <laughs> that are useful yeah. across the board, just like in life, because I have to learn something new, like all the time. And when I onboarded my virtual assistant, Gwen, who has been a godsend, by the way. Thank you very much, Gwen. Um, she puts in 40 to 60 hours a week just doing things that I used to do, which kind of is kind of amazing to me that I used to spend 40 to 60 hours a week doing those things. <laughs> um, but the onboarding process, like training people up, that's just like an extra burden. And you have to do all the other things in the beginning that you were doing before because you don't have the training. So for, yeah, those first few weeks, it's kind of hell on earth. And then once it's offloaded, you push it away and then you free up. But it's really cool, you know, seeing this transition in your journey of, you know, launching Faded Spade, transitioning to the agency, and now getting more opportunities through networking and the agency. And I've said forever that like podcasting, podcasting is like a networking superpower, right? It just connects you with people that you would never get connected with otherwise, or it would be, it's difficult or weird to get connected with people otherwise. So, yeah, I, I sh I'm sure the agency, which is just networking and communication, reaps lots of rewards beyond just building the business, right? Yeah, so it's like, for me, it all starts with personal connection, right? So the relationships I've developed with Darren and Matt and Jamie and Chris, um, we obviously had past relationships, which led us to that, but now they're deeper. And I love that personal connection, right? And being able to support what they're trying to do in terms of utilizing their influence for good uh, is awesome, right? And, and it helps create that deeper personal connection. Like this whole thing um, with BetMGM and Party Poker US Network, it all stemmed from working with that organization to have them bring Darren on as a brand ambassador, right? So it's a huge win for him. It's a huge win for BetMGM. Um, and then all of a sudden it wound up being a great professional and personal opportunity for me, you know, from a marketing consulting perspective. So yeah, I can't complain, man. And, and the agency work, you know, we talked about it growing. It's been six months, you know, everybody has had some sort of appearance or some sort of virtual engagement, right in the industry or out of the industry. Uh, Berkey just wrapped up something in Las Vegas with Lexus, right? Like, really? Where did that come from? Right? <laughs> yeah. So like Lexus was, was running a, uh, had a big convention over at the win. And part of that was to have like a poker tournament for a lot of their high performing business leaders and their event company engaged us uh, because they wanted somebody there to kind of like from the poker industry who could also talk business and host it. And they chose Matt and Matt was over there this weekend doing that, you know, so you hear those things and it's like, you know what, there is that need, we're filling a gap and, and how can we do more of those things? Exactly. I love that you say Matt and Chris, by the way, you know, Berkey and Moneymaker are the, <laughs> the podcast <laughs> yes. listeners like Matt and Chris. Yeah. Berkey and Moneymaker. I think those two are more recognizable last names. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, that's that's super sweet. I can I can just imagine Berkey doing a Lexus commercial using complicated words that are <laughs> just ambiguous and <laughs> talking about the car. Um, yeah. Let's go back to you playing in these tournaments, right? Uh, for those of you in the audience, the listener who's unfamiliar with Tom's journey, you started playing poker. You loved poker. Um, kind of fell out of it for a while and then serendipitously got back into the poker world. And now you're playing these 10Ks. And I know that it's connected to Faded Spade and maybe even the WPT, you have a partnership with them. So tell me, like, how did how did getting to battle in these 10Ks come about? Yeah, this is cool, man. This will be like a little trip down memory lane of the last, you know, three years, four years. Because um, as you know, you never take time to reflect on this stuff, right? Sure. Uh, so, you know, when we talked the first time in the first podcast, we talked all about like the recreational stuff and, you know, the underground games in Orlando and the two five cash and growing in that and blah, blah, blah. Well, I had always wanted to get back into tournament poker and I wanted to get back into it in a big way. Uh, so I made the decision like four years ago after I started faded spade that I'm going to study and I'm going to become a tournament player and not a cash game player, right? This and is like a marketing write-off, by the way, for Faded Spade. Is that how that works? Or it actually isn't. No, no? it actually isn't. Like I do it out of my personal account. Yeah. Oh, wow. I keep, I keep it pretty clean. Keep it pretty <laughs> clean, man. Um, I didn't know if that's. I don't. I'm not a. I'm not an accountant, so I don't know if that's a thing. Um, anyway. I'm sure it could be. You know, maybe I do that through the agency. I don't know, <laughs> but but I keep it pretty clean. And yeah. uh, you know, I just. So I started playing, you know, four or $500,000, you know, buy-in tournaments just to get back into it, which, you know, got me at least into like a more competitive nature. And by the way, you just said four to five to $1,000 buy-in tournaments. Yes. <laughs> so it, like it, it kind of strung together and it was like four to five, four to 500,000 buy-in tournaments um which yeah. that's yeah i'm just going to play the millions you know, yeah that, that's millions. not a not an easy transition there yeah no so sorry i'll slow down a little bit um four hundred dollar tournaments five hundred dollar tournaments online and live you know local um maybe jumping into like a thousand dollar hpt something like that right um just to shake the rust off get back in the game apply some of the things i was studying and I did that for, you know, three or four months and said, you know what, I'm going to take a shot. Like, so at the time it was like faded spade was growing. I really wanted like the industry to know the guy that ran the company was actually a poker player, not just some, some suit. Um, and I also selfishly really wanted to play in like a WPT main tour event, which I never had had done to that point. So it's kind of a cool story. And I think folks who, who don't have the bankrolls for this, these types of events hopefully can relate to this, which I don't. I don't have the bankroll for 10Ks. I probably don't even have the bankroll for like 5Ks, right? But I'll, I'll play in them sometimes. So what I did was I put out a staking campaign on Ustake. And I sold 80% of my action to the World Poker Tour Bobby Baldwin Classic, as it was called at the time. So I had 20% of myself, right? 2000 bucks. And it completed. Don't know how it completed, but like 32 backers, some people I knew, some random folks that were, you know, fans of the brand, uh, it completed. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Playing in the first ever 
10k world poker tour main tour event this is like this is a goal like this is the vision that i have for myself as like a personally as a poker player and i don't know what happened brad but i played better than i've ever played before i ran well in key spots um i actually held in a couple key hands that i remember and i made a really deep run in this thing and it wound up being one of the toughest fields like of the year it was hell of the aria Don mccormick um who obviously runs the poker room there is like of all the 10ks you could have played in like why did you pick this one it's nothing but a bunch of killers right and i kind of knew that but i i just wanted to take the risk and, and it wasn't that big of a risk you know when you're 80 percent staked through you stake anyway um ran well uh cashed finished like 19th, had a nice little payday for all of the backers, right? That supported the journey and got to have that really great experience. And after that, Brad, it was funny because I would, you know, talk to different poker rooms who would potentially become customers. And the first thing they would bring up for like a month was, hey man, nice run in the WPT, you know, event at the Aria. And it was just funny how, how that all kind of came together. Yeah, the news traveled through the grapevine. Tell me, for the podcast listener, by the way, you stake, I'm not super familiar with it, but what does the process look like for setting up to potentially getting staked in one of these big tournaments? Yeah, it's pretty simple. So um, you stake and stake kings are both the same company now, right? I, uh, are owned by the same organization. Both, um, I would say, probably two of the more credible staking platforms out there. One is... Um, I think Phil Helmuth is involved with you stake. And then you've got folks like Esfan Dayari and Jeff Gross and others involved with stakings. Um, so basically all I did was log onto their site, create an account. And it's so easy. You just pick what tournament you're playing in. You have a whole bunch of options in terms of how much you want to stake, uh, what tournament it is, um, if you're going to do markup, right? And, and I didn't really do markup because I was just trying to do it for engagement. And within like five minutes, you can have a staking campaign up where your friends, your family, your colleagues, um, if you have followers, you know, can come get a piece of the action. So they basically have money on on you stake or stake kings and they buy pieces of you and it's all how, handled automatically. How does the fund distribution go like for like, how do you get the money to buy into this event? Uh, well, they would transfer it to your account. It's pretty simple. So like when I had the 80% staked, right? That's like $8,000 mm -hmm. that transferred to my personal account. And I utilize that to buy into the tournament plus my own funds. So you can buy in directly from you stake to the tournament. No, I had, I had to transfer it to my personal ah, account and okay. withdraw from my bank. Yeah. Okay. How do they prevent somebody like selling pieces and then not playing tournaments? They have a whole quality assurance team to that. Uh, I don't know the answer because I don't work with them directly, but I know they have a quality assurance team for that. I have to, you know, take a picture of the ticket, of the receipt, send it into them, you know. So there's a whole process I have to follow to show them that I actually played in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, I assume I'm always like looking at the the angle from <laughs> as a poker player. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. I've heard countless stories over the years of old poker pros who would sell 200% of themselves and bust out of tournaments and all kinds of, you know, I guess if you could just imagine any shady thing that nets some money, somebody somewhere along the way has probably tried it. You yeah. know what I mean? 
Yeah, I, I think I think these companies, from what I know, do a bit of a very good job of like protecting people, so you don't have to deal with that. Yeah. Well, so. it's good that there are people in the industry because they're going to see the holes, right? They're going to see the gaps and the possibilities and take, you know, precautions to make sure that everything just kind of goes smoothly. Yeah. Um, so you made a deep run and you just continue playing these 10. How many 10Ks are you playing a year now? Well, it was, it was 19 or 18. So there was like, and I'll, I won't say 10Ks. I'll just say like main tour events, right? So 19, I think I played four 10Ks and maybe a couple 5Ks. Or I'm sorry, that was 18. 19 was around the same. And I have probably added in a few like 3,500s. But basically, I started out, I played a couple party poker lives, obviously played the WSOP main event, um, and then played like three or four World Poker Tour tournaments, right? And had that same kind of trajectory in 19 and then into 20 before, um, obviously, the pandemic. So now it's like getting right back, you know, started again. But as luck would have it, like, I always ran bad and didn't play my best in any WSOP tournament that I played in, right? Mm -hmm. um, party poker millions or not millions, but live was the same, right? Like, just like, you know how it is tournament poker, just crazy shit happening. And you just have to just deal with it. Right. But as luck would have it, most of the tournaments that I've run really deep in are the world poker tour tournaments, which not a plan thing, but it's like, whether it's that structure or just timing, or the player field, I don't know. I've run deep in like four or five of those. Yeah, it's just, it, it's a thing that happens. You know, like Gus Hansen was like killing the WPT, but didn't have very much in the way of like WSOP results. So he became like the poster child for the WPT. You know, I think it's just kind of like randomness. Um, yeah. But Faded Spade is the official card brand of the WPT. How does it feel signing up for one of these big events and getting to use your cards, looking down and being like, holy shit, this is, this is me. It's only happened a couple of times, right? Because the decision of what cards to use are, are on the property. So mm. um, WPT uses them for all their final tables and on TV. And then of course they're using them if the property is using them. Right. And, and they'll help make introductions, right. To some of the properties and whatnot. Sure. Um, so it's only happened a few times I've used, I've used faded spade cards myself playing cash games at a bunch of different poker rooms. Um, at Run It Up, when Jason was really active, Jason Somerville was really active with Run It Up, and then maybe once in like a WPT, and it's just it's weird, right? It's that's the only way to describe it. It's like okay, I am playing in a poker tournament that maybe I shouldn't be, right? But trying to do some of these personal goals on the poker side. And at the same time, everything I've worked so hard on for the last couple of years with the brand is like right in front of me. And it's just weird, but <laughs> it's a know, little self-indulgent now that I think yeah, about it. <laughs> I just, I, I don't have, you know, people would laugh at me like, are those x-ray glasses or like, you know, can you, can you read the card? It's like, no, like, you know, I've got a lot more yes. to lose if I were to try anything like that. Yeah. He's going to cheat using his own <laughs> card brand at a major event that uses his cards. Uh, in sponsorship that that, yeah, that would just, make a lot of sense just ruined my entire like you know personal brand in the industry so there yeah. you go and your name your reputation just kind of everything. every everything all at once like <laughs> if you ever went out of the poker world 
that's the path. I think that's the <laughs> route you want to take because you'll for sure be out. So playing these tournaments, I know we talked in the last conversation about Faded Spade and you transitioning to running the charity events. Had Matt Stout on the podcast yesterday or the last episode. Actually, for the podcast listener, this one's going to get expedited. So it'll be a few weeks before Stout gets released. You're jumping the line here, Tom. That's how you roll. Oh, um, baby. <laughs> but he, he, he started the charity series of poker and ran some tournaments on Faded Spade, um, the poker client as well. So how's that project going? Still awesome. doing, doing its thing? Yeah. And shout out to Stout. Uh, Stout, actually, when I was getting back into tournaments, that was someone that gave me just like really casual, you know, tournament coaching when it was like, oh, hey, like, here's a spot. Right. And um, so Stout, Stout, like when I was getting back into it, was definitely helpful there. Um, so sorry I bumped you, Stout, but, you know, <laughs> it happens. So anyway, uh, things are going good on the virtual poker space, right? Like there isn't as much demand as there there was in the height of the pandemic, but we we're still kicking it. Um, and. Like to date, we've done over $5 million in, in fundraising for probably over 80 different companies. Um, and we're partnering with um, a company in the nonprofit industry that, you know, that provides a lot of tech to a lot of these nonprofits in order to collect donations online and things like that. So as that partnership comes to fruition, we hope like there'll be a lot more clients that we can help raise funds for because it's become just as much of what faded spade means as poker playing cards, right? Like in the poker industry, in the casino industry, we're poker playing cards. In the nonprofit industry, in the corporate industry, we're virtual poker. Uh, and it's like we're, we almost have an identity crisis. <laughs> so. Well, it's a necessary identity crisis because I think you're doing a good job of covering all bases, right? Like as live poker ramps back up, you know, obviously, Faded Spade card brand should start selling more decks of cards. Um, so, you know, it's good to just have redundancies in place for like, oh, if a catastrophic black swan event like a pandemic happens, cool, we had a solution. You you made your way through. Yeah, and I just feel like we we were so fortunate enough to make our way through where a lot of other companies weren't, right? Like, not just companies, but like just me as sure. a, a dad and and the family and you know all that stuff and now it's like i feel this real sense of momentum and i think momentum is a real thing on all fronts where we're landing bigger poker room clients compared to 2 or 3 years ago um consumer sales are up right virtual poker partnership should take off all these great things happening with the agency uh, obviously the new consulting gig getting into the online poker space with which i'm so passionate about with a big brand and being able to influence you know their marketing strategy to me is like man that's that's cool right i'm a nerd out on this like it's 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 one of those things that mixes personal professional and corporate experience all together and uh i just feel like there's momentum on all sides and now it's like what other poker tournaments can i play what other poker tournaments can i like you know study for and try to perfect my game as much as you possibly can in a tournament and try and like actually take one of these things down. Right. And like, I feel like there's momentum on every side of life and business. That's the next goal, man. That's the next goal. And we also have the big kahuna kind of looming in the background of online poker legalization and regulation, taking some steps in a positive direction. And, you know, that thing kind of dwarfs 
pretty much anything else that can happen in the poker world. As soon as right. like more states get onboarded, that's just like the end all be all thing that we've all kind of just been sitting around waiting for for the last 10 years now. And, you know, poker will boom if and when that does happen. And I don't know, I, I'm bearish and bullish and I have actually no idea. I invited Matt Verstandig to come on the podcast to talk about like what the recent um, ruling means or what he think it means for the future of online poker. But I just, I, I'm hopeful that eventually it'll happen in my lifetime, I hope. Um, but yeah, that's that's a thing that will elevate all the other things in this space. I think what you're going to see is kind of like how sports betting is expanding and legalizing in a bunch of different states, obviously at a much rap more rapid pace than, than poker, right? That's going to pave the way because now when these companies, especially like BetMGM, right, they've got sports, they've got casino, they've got poker. They're developing these relationships with all these regulatory agencies in all these states. And obviously, sports is being pushed through first, right? Well, now that relationship is developed. So now it's like, okay, how do these companies work with the regulatory agencies to now push poker through? So I think like you'll start seeing that over the next two to three years. I think it's going to be a little bit slow over the next six months, right? Um, maybe a state here, a state there maybe shared liquidity between these two states, but not these four states. And then I think there's just going to be a point where like the brakes are off um, and you see rapid expansion. But I think we're two to three years away from that. Um, and what's so cool from my standpoint is with BetMGM and the Party Poker US Network asking me to come lead this from a marketing perspective for the foreseeable future, what can that mean when all that actually happens, right? What can that mean for the agency? What can that mean personally? Um, I know who I'll be reaching out to for podcast sponsorship deals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know a guy. Um, you know a guy. He's got all these freaking companies and his family hates him right now. But, you know, <laughs> he'll find balance. He's rolling uh, in the MGM bet. Uh, is it MGM bet online? Well, that's that's not it. So it's bet MGM. So basically bet MGM. What, yeah. Yeah. And I'll give you a run through of it. Cause maybe your, your listeners will, will kind of like uh, enjoy knowing the background, but this is all public by the way at betmgm.com. But uh, bet MGM is actually like a partnership or an alliance between MGM resorts and Entane. Entane is the organization that owns the party poker brand, like rest of world. So those two companies came together and formed BetMGM, right? Sports, casino, poker. BetMGM decided that within the U.S., you know, they were going to call their poker product offering the Party Poker U.S. Network, right? Because it isn't the same as rest of world. And then it's New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Michigan right now. And there are different skins, right? So I don't know yet what the strategy was because it's like my sixth day on the job on the <laughs> consulting gig, right? Yeah. But, but, you know, so in New Jersey, you've got those three skins like we talked about, Orgata Poker, MGM Poker, and New Jersey Party Poker. Anybody playing on any of those, like they're all playing the same games. Sure. Right? Um, but that hasn't happened between borders yet. So it's not happening between Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Will it soon? Probably, right? Maybe. Uh, and then obviously with Michigan, it's a little farther 
you know, away from those states, kind of more mid-central, Midwest versus like East Coast, but you know, how we market in Michigan and develop the product in Michigan might be different than how we do it in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. We don't really know yet. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's like everyone has their assumptions and it's about throwing a lot of things out there to see what sticks and just finding your way. That's marketing. That's marketing. Um, California is the big one too. I think like positive steps taken in California are just, it's just so huge for this industry. Man, we get California and then we get Florida and then somehow, some way companies and regulatory agencies can work together to get shared liquidity between all those states combined. Like that's, that's the boom you're talking about. I that's mean, who when it's like, doesn't we're back. want this? Like where, where, where's a state of people that are like, no, nah, we don't want this. Right. And like, I, I'm not going to like, uh, say, I, I don't want to say anything bad about the sports betting companies, but how the heck is sports betting getting through before poker? Like, in what world does this make any sort of sense uh, sequentially, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, they're, you know, Texas and California, they're, like, diametrically opposed in many different viewpoints and opinions, and they both want poker. Like, everybody wants poker across the U.S. So, like, what the hell are you politicians doing? Like, let's get this through. <laughs> right. And I, I don't know enough yet uh, on that side of the business to even comment on it, right? But... I do know that uh, a lot of things have to align. It's more than just a company saying, hey, we're going to connect liquidity for, yeah. for these two or three states. All of a sudden, here's what has to happen. Like the division of gaming for Pennsylvania has to work with the division of gaming for New Jersey. And it's like, who's connecting them? The companies. But like those two agencies still have to want to work together. And then, you know, you bring in a Michigan or you bring in Nevada or you bring in whatever. It's like, so I, I can see why it's taking the time it is. And honestly, I think it's more regulatory and, you know, partnerships between those agencies than, than anything. Absolutely. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's hard to get different entities to communicate and effectively work together. And really, I'm just sure there's lots of bureaucracy involved in every single step of the way there. You've survived pre-flop boot camp. You've shot the fish in a barrel. Now, prepare yourself for the feeding frenzy. A comprehensive strategy for gutting every fish in your player pool. Data-driven hero bluffs, light call-downs, and perfect value bets that are maximally designed to hurt some feelings. Feeding Frenzy. Available now at ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Feeding Frenzy. Let's go to you, though. Let's go back to Tom Wheaton, the human right. being. Um, <laughs> it's story time. I want to hear a story that's on your greatest hits collection over the course of your poker journey. Ooh, what a question. My greatest hits collection. This is a tough one, man. You and I, imagine you and I are on vacation together and you just, we're just sitting around hanging out and you just tell a poker story. Honestly, I think, um, obviously the, the first, you know, WPT main tour 10K and that story would be the first thing I'd talk about, right? Because I still feel like, I almost feel like a kid when I talk about that. 
right? Now, now it's like I'm desensitized to it. So I, I, I've done this a bunch of times. I'm taking it seriously. I want to do well, but like, I still think about that moment and everything that had to align for that to be a success personally and professionally. And I'm still like, man, and, and it wasn't even like I won the thing or final table the thing. It was just like going that deep in a tournament where I am not one of the most studied by any means. I am not one of the best, but being able to remember like, okay, here's this situation on the turn. Here's how I should play this. Don't be afraid. Play it this way. And then be able to actually make the decisions I need to make in those spots instead of being afraid or nervous. Like that's what like makes me feel like a kid inside. Like, damn it. I was able to do that. when I wasn't sure if I could. Um, but I would say probably one of my, one of my favorite experiences was uh, right before the pandemic at uh, World Poker Tour Borgata. It was Winter Poker Open. And I had a couple of caches under my belt. I started feeling like I'm going to take this pretty seriously. And I got staked again to play. Uh, my whole family, you know, was there. And uh, it was one of those moments where it's like, you're walking around the poker room and people are like, hey, Tom, what's up? Good to see you playing one of these again, right? Probably because they knew I was dead money, you know? Um, <laughs> but like, that was the first time where I felt like actually a part of the poker player community. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So I, I, I remember feeling like, wow, I'm part of this community, not just from like the business perspective, but from a player perspective. And my family was there. I'm from New Jersey. Right. And it was like, I really, really, really wanted to go deep in this thing. Why does it feel so good to be like a part of the poker community to you? Because this is my biggest passion outside of family and friends and all the other stuff. Like this is... It's a part of your identity. It's a part of my identity. So being able to, to have a community that also can relate to that being a part of your identity is, is something I haven't truly experienced before, but something I'm so passionate about. Like yeah. the last time I experienced that was like baseball, right? Um, so it's like a sense of community. I, I don't know that it's like really important to me Actually, it's not very important to me to be known. It's not very important to me to, to, for people to be like, oh, yeah, that's Tom. I, I could care less about that stuff. What's important to me are like the relationships you build with people that have the same passions, like, and those really like genuine relationships, right? That's what's important to me. And that's what I felt, you know, that trip. So it was less about the poker, but it was more about that feeling of community and, um, then, you know, as luck would have it, ran really deep in that thing and, and built more relationships and had like another WPT success story. Um, and that was just that feeling, that aura of, man, like I, I'm actually hanging with professional poker players and I'm doing this part time from a tournament perspective. That's just an awesome feeling. Yeah, it's a feeling that I get. I don't play a lot of live poker these days, but like anytime I'm like just in the environment, I don't know what it is. It's like a calm comes over me. Like this yeah. is my space. Like I'm as weird as it sounds, like I'm kind of like a predator in this world. And like, I just feel like this is what I meant to do. Sit down at this green felt, battle other people and engage in a battle of wits and do the best that I can. And I, I do think, you know, this is something I've, I've probably talked about before on CPG, but these are my people, you know, like I've been a 
member of the poker community for the last 17 years and coming at like interviews and conversations with guests like, you know, Darren Elias and Berkey, all of these high name guys that play poker at a very high skill level. Like, I, I think one thing that kind of separates me a little bit from the other people in the space is that first and foremost, poker is what I've dedicated my entire existence to as an adult. Mm -hmm. So I love the game. I understand it at a very high level and I can talk poker with pretty much anybody in the world at a high level. And I think that like that matters in this space as it relates to respect and connection amongst your peers, because poker players are able to see through and notice when somebody does not understand the game and they're talking to them. And because I do the same thing, right? I'm able to see it from the, the other perspective. And yeah, it's just, it's nice opening up and having conversations with members of your own tribe, because really that's what you're talking about, right? Like you became a member of the poker players tribe, and that's something that is meaningful. Yeah. And whether it's real or not, it's like a feeling, like I feel a part of it now. Like I never really felt a part of it, you know, from the business perspective, but but now, like putting myself in these situations and having success, it's like, hey, like it's almost like a form of validation for me that I am good enough that my to to play in these spots that the studying I'm doing is paying off, that there's a talent and a skill here that you know is real, um, and and now it's just like, how do I carve out time to make sure I focus on that? <laughs> and, and reach potential that among all the other things. Right. So, you know, I'll share like, a, I know that was much more like existential and, and not like necessarily your, your question about like a poker moment, but uh, a poker moment I will remember. And it wasn't like a great moment, but it was just like, I'll tell this story um, because it's about like being in a spot uh, that like you, you think is like just completely locked up and then dealing with like defeat. Right. Um, it was the it was the 10K party poker uh, live tournament at the Aria before the WSOP main event in 19 and uh, really nervous above my buy in, you know, had like 50, 60 percent of it staked. And I'm just looking around again and it's just it's just all crushers. You know what I'm saying? But playing really well and got into the following spot. And I, I share this not to share a bad beat story. Who cares about that? I share this because. Being able to, to take it and move on from it made me realize like, yeah, I could do this, right? So it was a very simple spot. It was a uh, big blind, queen, nine of spades, early raise, three and a half X, call middle position, and I call with queen, nine of spades. And board comes down, it's three-way pot. We're all really deep stacked at the time. Board comes down, um, seven, eight, Jack. No, I'm sorry. It was 810 Jack. 810 Jack. Two spades. So obviously I flopped the nut straight with the flush draw. And I check. Guy bets big. Guy calls. And I'm like, okay, why the nuts here? I'm like, just gonna call, right? Like maybe I put in a raise here to build a pot. What do I do? And the thought process of thinking through that was not something I ever used to do. I would just like automatically like just call or something like that. But my, my brain starts like actually working now. Like, what do you really do in this spot? Take your time. Right. And 
So let, I, me, I bought- let me let me interject here because what you said is pretty interesting, and yeah. it's how I think about. So, I use the word fish as a label, right? I know people say wrecks or amateurs, but I think fish is more precise of a label than a wreck because I have friends who are wrecks who <laughs> are probably better at poker than me. Just they're high level executives that spend all their energy. Uh, but I think the best label beyond fish or wreck or amateur is instinctual. Mm-hmm. And that's just how people react in a spot where they are unstudied. They just react on instinct. And I think the cool thing about being an instinctual player is that it happens to everybody when they enter a portion of the decision tree that they're unfamiliar with. So you can turn instinctual as a pro for 15 years when you hit a spot that's kind of like a question mark on the tree um, and just kind of do like whatever your gut, your intuition um, kind of tells you to do. And obviously I think gut and intuition is like a totally separate thing than instincts. But what you're saying there is like before you would just instinctually make a decision, call or raise based on some sort of feeling. Mm -hmm. And now you're thinking about it more precisely because you're studied in this spot. And so anyway, I just want to add in that tangent before you go through your story. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for slowing me down too. And 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 that's right. That's well said where I, I am not eloquently saying that, but I thought about it. <laughs> I've yeah, thought about it a lot. Actually, yeah. And, and I'm just like, okay, so I'm in this spot and I share this because this is a moment I would share among friends where I realized like I, I'm doing things right. Like I, I know I'm, trust me, I'm still doing a lot of fishy shit in tournaments and have a ton of leaks, right? But, but in this spot, I'm, I start thinking okay, this guy's leading out into two people. He was the early position raiser. What's his range? I'm like, could be over pair. It's a pretty coordinated board. Did he smash a set? Like, you know, and I'm thinking, what's this guy just calling with, right? I've got the flush draw and the, the, the nut straight. Like, what's this guy calling with? Like, so, queen, now I'm, ace queen. so I'm narrow, I'm narrowing down his range. And I like never did this in tournaments before. Right. So now I'm like, well, no, screw this. I'm, I'm going to try and like get as much value out of this hand as possible. Right. So I put in a, a pretty hefty size raise and, and some might say it's a call, but for me, I'm like, one of these guys has a made hand and I want to get the money in. I like raising actually when villain yeah. bets big three ways, I think their range is just tilted towards stronger hands. Yeah. So, so I raise villain calls. So now I know, I know he's got like nine, seven or a set. Well, next dude just jams, just jams. And I'm like, okay, there's the nine, seven. And I'm like, all right, so there's the low straight. It's the only hand that's doing that. I've got the flush draw really hard for him to have the flush draw. Um, so obviously I jam and the next guy just calls, <laughs> right? And I'm like, well, what the fuck? Right? So, so we turn over the cards. Obviously I've got the nut straight flush draw. Uh, original razor has the set of eights. And the uh, four better has um, the, the low straight, right? So in this spot, obviously, I'm a big favorite to, to, to triple up and be in a really great position for this tournament. And before I know it, board pairs, I'm standing up kind of in shock. And next thing I know, I'm at the high roller bar with Sean McCormick having a bourbon. Like, it all <laughs> happened within, like, I'm sure it'll happen within five, 10 minutes, but to me, it seemed like three seconds. Mm -hmm. And it was that moment though. 
based on the way I was able to react to that happening um, and move on from it in that big of a tournament for me, which is, you know, one of the top two biggest tournaments I ever played. And know that in that hand, I had all what I think was the right thought processes and didn't get the desired result. To just be able to be okay with that, like an hour or two later, I knew, you know what? I'm a fucking tournament poker player and I might not be able to do this every single, every week. Right. But I have the mental toughness to be able to withstand this type of stuff more regularly. And I think that was the moment that I would share with people about like, that's a cool story for me personally. And maybe something that like other people can take away uh, from. Yeah. I was going to say, Tom, congratulations. You, you are a poker player. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas two years ago, I just would have been steamed and pissed forever. And I never would have thought through the hand in that way. You know what I mean? So it was almost like a very transformative event for me as a poker player. If like I can give an example of like a particular moment, particular hand, that kind of sticks with me. Yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier that we rarely have time to reflect on what we've done or how far we've come or our path or our journey. And that's sort of like an inflection point for you. Like uh, it just is a signal that like, oh, I'm doing things that are working and this is pretty cool. Like this is like the desired mental result from this situation. Um, Yeah. And somehow confidence was actually built from all that, right? Confidence was built from failure. Sure. It almost always is like you get punched in the face and knocked down. Like when you get up, you're more confident that like, cool, I can actually get up from getting smashed in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, I don't want to play poker for a while. It's when's the next one. Like, when's the main event? Like, how many days away? Um, But, like, I think there's a message there, too, for, like, your listeners where, you know, I'm talking about this stuff. But, again, these these tournaments are are above my bankroll. I'm being responsible with them through staking. So my actual piece of myself is, like, within my bankroll, right? But, like, if you have these ambitions or these visions of, of trying to play in some of these tournaments and maybe it's not a 10 K, but maybe you're grinding one, two, one, three and playing in $200 tournaments. But like you want to jump into that 1500 or you want to jump into a 3,500, like there are ways for you to do it and still be playing within your bankroll. And don't be afraid to take your shot because you can really test yourself. You can really test yourself among some of these fields that have, you know, more skilled players than the lower buy-ins. And I would just say like, don't be afraid to, to look at those options and find out how you can do it responsibly within your bankroll and then just go for it because, you know, what else is there except if you're a poker player and part of that community and have that passion, then, then to try out, try those things and, and kind of see how you, how you react within yourself. Yeah. It's something I've been thinking a lot about lately is how we're almost all more capable than we think as it relates to results, progress, um, work, dealing with a horrible thing happening. I think we're stronger, more resilient, and greater things are possible if you put your mind to something and pursue it with passion and vigor. And that's really the key. Um, I I think we just sell ourselves short very, very often. I'm going to keep saying on this show, you know, Patrick Leonard came on a few, like a month or so ago, and confided that over 10 years, he hasn't had a losing month of playing tournament poker. And you will talk to other tournament pros who will say that is impossible, right? That's not 
something that is feasible and yet he's done it for 10 straight years and so that tells me it is possible and most of the time we just want to make excuses not take responsibility for our level of play and just kind of go into this lackadaisical expecting to just show up and get results when you have to show up with intensity and you have to be passionate and learn and grow every single day and then amazing things that you may not think are possible or that the poker the outside poker world which by the way the outside poker world is a reflection of people who are basically trying to figure out where they're going wrong or creating you know their subjective map of reality based on their own results and if there's if their subjective map of reality is that such a thing is not possible then they're going to say that it is not possible and most people will do that so you just have to be very careful um, about taking uh, feedback from the poker community or other people and just believe in yourself, passionately pursue it, do the right things. And most things are possible. Like I'm kind of uh, maybe hopelessly optimistic as it relates to this specifically, but I think that with the right training, anybody can be a winning poker player. You may not mm -hmm. be crushing 10K tournaments, but you can beat the one-two game down the road at your local card room if you study, invest yourself, and try. And um, I'm, I'm going to go to my grave believing and thinking that and creating training products to try my damnedest to make that happen. But yeah, I just think like, let's have some self-belief. Let's take responsibility for our actions and go out there and give it hell. You know, we only yeah. have one life. There's only limited time. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that's a true statement, right? I mean, some people will have a natural ability, a natural skill, but you have to hone that natural, quote unquote, natural ability and skill with training because you won't go from average to good to great. Like, and, and that's how you become a winning poker player. And I'm a product of that. Like, I would not be a winning poker player to the extent that I am without training. Like you just, it's, it, it's to me, it's like, if you really want to be a winning poker player, you need to be trained, like you need to have coaching and then you need to be able to apply it. And I like what you said about responsibility. I'll use the word accountability, right? I think so many people will uh, blame the fact that they busted from a tournament, which obviously happens all the time through bad luck or et cetera. Um, or if they have a bad cash session, you know, they're always chalking it up to bad luck, bad luck, bad luck. But it's like, you gotta look within yourself and ask yourself, what did I do? Or what could I have done differently? to had a different result. Even if the result might not have been different, there are certain things you could have done during that session or during that tournament that were mistakes. Sure. And what? you've got to recognize them and learn from them. And I don't think that many people truly uh, take that self-accountability to do it. Um, and I'll give you an example. So I was just down at the Hard Rock a few weeks ago, visiting family in South Florida, uh, jumped in like a 3,500, um, tournament or was it a 5k it was a 3500 or a 5k um and i literally busted in the third level that's never happened to me like it's never happened to me in, in all my mtt play the last three and a half four years but it was like my own fault like did I, did I run into a set three times in a row yes like when i had it made a hand yes but the way i played those hands like i didn't have to play him that way right and I could have like really minimized my losses on a few of those hands. And then there were key hands where I three barrel bluffed into a calling station. That's my fault. I am out of this tournament in level three because of me, not because of the cards. 
Um, and I think like people who have that don't have that mentality should really try to, to have that mentality um, because it's only going to make you a better player. Absolutely. And I'm going to state this for the record. Nobody that I've ever coached or has been a member of my community or that I have interacted with that blames all of their failures on, you know, aces getting cracked, kings getting cracked, losing with a set, complaining about all the badness that goes on in the, their poker experience. Not one of them have been winning players. And right. I mean, it's not a coincidence, right? Because they're not taking responsibility for how they ought to play the hands. And, you know, one key question that can help you after, you know, you lose a big pot or you bust out of a big tournament is what piece of information could I have had access to that may have led me to make a different decision? Was there any data point? Was there anything that I could have seen any place where I need to get better? Let's review the previous hands that I played. How did I get in this spot in the first place? And, you know, it's a lot of self-reflection and it's a lot of humility and a lot of asking hard questions. And yeah, it's tedious. It's tough. But that's the path. You don't get you don't get to um, ascend and grab poker greatness by being lazy and not doing the tedious, monotonous work. Yeah, and like now, like that was the last time I played a, an MTT, right? And it was just like I remember being so upset with myself. Um, but at the same time, it's like next week I'm flying to New Jersey. I am going to play in the WPT Online Borgata Poker Open powered by the Party Poker US Network, right? <laughs> it is a main tour event. It's 3,500, 1 million guarantee, right? This is part marketing and also part like, this is real. <laughs> like, but I'm going to take those lessons and bring them into this tournament and try not to repeat them, right? Like recognize when there's a call all at the table. And even if it might be a great three barrel bluff spot versus another player, like don't do it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like. You have to recognize those spots. So it's like taking those lessons, going to play the next one here in New Jersey on the 19th. That's what you got to do to get better. Sure. So, so yeah, like, you know, that's going to be a great tournament. But are you, where, where do you live? <laughs> Nobody knows. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. What's, what's the, dude, fly up to Jersey for this tournament, man. I'm recruiting you right now. I, I hear that. Um, fly, we, fly up to New Jersey and play in this WPT, man. I don't even know what's happening. It's in nine days. Is that the, the timeline? Yeah, so, so it's September 19th. You might not have, have got wind of it yet because like the marketing is happening feverishly for it last week and this week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a 3,500 buy-in. It is on the Party Poker US Network online. Uh, you can like sign up for account an account. You can deposit anywhere in the States. And then as long as you're within New Jersey, you can play. Um, so I'm flying up there. I'm staying at the Borgata and I'm playing in this thing. Right. I know some other people driving in from New York and, you know, flying in from Florida, uh, Texas, um, driving in from, you know, Pennsylvania, you know, to play in this thing because it's a 1 million guarantee. And, um, I just wasn't sure if you were close to New Jersey or et cetera. I would be like, dude, come on up. Cause we're going up there. We're going to hang out. We're going to play online poker from the Borgata and try and, uh, try and become a WPT champion, man. On uh, I'll probably be playing on the bet MGM poker skin in New Jersey. Um, and just see what we can do. Good, man. It's that, I mean, a million dollar guarantee. That's pretty nice. And I'm assuming that's like the full prize pool. So first will be something three to 400 K something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's one of those things. I think it's, it's different for people right now. What I'm learning 
through through my six days on the job, right? But also like just through other experience, it, it's I think it's difficult for people to to realize like there is a nice hybrid ap- approach that probably isn't going away anytime soon um, with a lot of these big tours and also a lot of these online poker providers. What do you mean by where, hybrid? So so not just because of the pandemic, right? Um, but there could be just as much success like in a live poker tournament that's happening at a place like the Borgata as there can be with an online poker tournament that's happening like in the state of New Jersey, especially when some of these different online poker providers and big tour brands come together, right? And I think we're going to see more of that, right? I think this is like the start of something or it's been the start of something for the last you know, six months or so. Um, and then I think what'll be really interesting is, is that word hybrid. Um, Darren will make fun of, fun of me based on how many times I say hybrid during this podcast. But like, I think there's really a, a place where, you know, in a lot of these states that have online poker, like let's take, let's take Michigan, All right? Let's take Michigan. Fairly new to online poker, have some live poker operations, but who's to say you can't create a really fun live social experience where players come and have that sense of community like we talked about at a place like MGM Grand in Detroit. And they're all together. You've got activities. You've got things to do. There's that camaraderie. You see your peers. But then people are playing the big online poker tournament from their room, right? Like, who says we can't do that? Who who says that's not something we could actually create over the next few months? Um, So I see... I see that being like an option on the table yeah. and whether or not players like take to it uh, or, or really consider those things, you know, is, is I think the future will tell, but that's going to be part of our world soon. It should be. It and, makes and so sense. Like, why not drive that? Right. And, and now I've got this opportunity to, to drive something like that um, and make something like that a reality. And uh, I'm looking forward to see how, how maybe something like that shapes up. Yeah. I'm rooting for you because poker should be fun and it should be experiential. You know, it should be communal and social and like, yeah, that, that just makes all the sense in the world to me from just a poker standpoint. And it's a pretty easy sell from a marketing standpoint as well. And I'll tell you this, if you can figure out a way for me to do like a chasing poker greatness live, I'll go wherever the hell you want me to go. (laughs) Um, That's something that I would like to do. Some sort of live event like that would be super fun. Um, just for me personally, but, uh, yeah, that's like, I do want to start traveling around after, well, if there is an after everything that's kind of going on, eventually I want to start traveling around just because for no other reason than all the connections that I've made, you know, I before CPG, I could have gone into a poker room and just, you know, not known anybody and just bought in and played you know, some high stakes, no limit, Texas Hold'em and kind of disappeared anonymously. But these days, if I go to the WSOP, like CPG has over 200 episodes now. I mean, in total, and my community is like 400 people. Like I'm going to know a shit ton of people at these giant poker tournaments. So I need to be out there. I love that you uh, use the word shit ton. And I know, I I love that I'm not the only person that uses (laughs) the word shit ton. Um, But you're right, man. So it's like, think, think about what's happened over the last couple months. So World Poker Tour um, main tour event in Jacksonville was postponed. Like that was supposed to be last month. 
And then the World Poker Tour uh, main tour event in Maryland was just postponed, right? So it's like now you've got the situation where it's an online event where you don't have to worry about that live factor. And all the players that wanted to play in those and that were planning on traveling to those. You just right? play. And now just travel to Jersey and play. Yeah. Like online. And it's just like, that's not going away. <laughs> so yeah. but my hope is that like the community embraces that. And, and even if it starts out like not that organized where it's like, you're just traveling to a state to play an online poker tournament. And maybe you don't see as many people as you'd like, even if that's like the case to start, like, there should be and probably will be commitment to bring that same experience of playing a live poker tournament to a location, but you're doing everything that you would be doing outside of the tournament socially. But now just when the tournament happens, you're firing up your laptop and you're playing on the laptop or your mobile phone. Yeah. I mean, like, let's go, let's, let's go. Like you're not going to get disqualified. Let's go. You're not going to get disqualified if you're someone that doesn't want to get vaccinated. You don't have yeah. to be vaccinated. You can just play in the comfort of your own hotel room and hang out with everybody when you're not playing cards. Yeah. So I hope I hope we have an opportunity to create something special like that in the near. Well, you better. You're the one in charge of it. Um, well, I'm, I'm blaming I'm blaming you. If, I am if a consultant. Brad. <laughs> hate, hate mail goes to Tom at fadedspay.com. Not my email address. <laughs> I, I hope with whatever influence I have as a consultant. And again, like I can't say enough good people about this team. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe that will be something that happens in the future. Enough good thing about the people. Enough good things about the people on the team. Yeah, I think. There you go. You... <laughs> oh, that's what I meant. We're going to have to edit this part out. Hold on, Brad. I don't think it's getting edited. Um, I have a strong feeling this is in. Yeah, so I'll just ask a couple lightning round questions. We'll wrap up. You can give a call to action to yeah, the man. Chasing Poker Greatness audience. Yeah. Um, so what are some things, and this is kind of a funny question with the setup that I just had, what are some things you wish you had said no to more often in this journey through poker? I think when I was building uh, Faded Spade, I wish I would have said no to um, some in-person travel that I didn't necessarily need to go on, right? Because I've never missed any important moments with the family. Like my kids and I are tight. My wife and I, were like, we're tight. Like more time with them now than I ever had, you know, in the prior corporate environment. But there were times where I was probably absent more than I would have liked to have been when I was like starting to build Faded Spade. And they were a lot younger, younger then. And there were things that I went to go do like, and traveled to go to that I thought were like really, really important, but turned out just were not, you know, and that's part of the learning process. But now it's like, I am really like, um, I really analyze, like if I got to make this trip and be away from the family, is it really going to move the business forward or like, or, or am I really doing this for Tom? Does that make sense? So yeah. it's like, so it's like, I think there were times four, four years ago during this, this business journey and poker journey, where I was probably doing half of my travel for the business and half of my travel, like for Tom. And I, I wish I would have kind of like scaled back on the four Tom stuff. Like I am now, where now it's like, if I travel and I'm away, it's because like, this is something that's going to move the business forward. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's just kind of like a good focusing question in general, whenever you're 
you're doing what, like, is this moving the needle for the thing that I want to do? And if it's not, you can probably trim it, right? What are some things that you wish you had said yes to more often? I think I wish I would have said yes to more partnership opportunities during the first two years of the business. Um, I really didn't get into that until like the third year. So, and maybe, maybe this is wrong, like, but I put all of my effort into like the WP2 relationship as I should have. Right. But there were so many other people that were hitting me up at that time that were like new entrepreneurs. Like I was wanting to connect that were like, um, like asking like, Hey, could we work together on this? Could we work together on that? And I was so um, laser focused, almost tunnel visioned. Um, like the one or two big things I had going on that I, I really didn't focus on any of those other, like kind of ad hoc things that were going on. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really start doing that until like maybe the third year. And, and when I really started doing that, like that's when I started like really like, I don't know how you say this. That's where I started feeling, feel like we're connected closer to the actual like entrepreneurial part of our community. Does that make sense? Like, and I, I wish I would have started doing that sooner. So I could have felt more connected to the entrepreneurial part of, of our journey. What's a relationship that's been facilitated after that third year of you connecting with entrepreneurs in the space? You know, I really think like relationships with like, um, George at BBO poker tables is great. I really like what he's done with that business. Um, I think there's a lot of cool play there between tables and cards. Um, obviously doing things like this, Brad, like getting to know you and, and what you're doing from a training perspective in the podcast, right? Like um, I would say even relationships with like you stake and stake Kings, like, you know, Berkey, and, solve for why. Yeah. And, and I don't include Berkey because I think Berkey was like from the start, like, like Berkey, you know, Berkey contacted me like within our first three months of business when he saw the cards on poker go. Right. So I know we talked about that last episode, but I almost consider that like from the start um, or even like certain vloggers or certain live streamers reaching out who were like, Hey, I'd love to put the faded spade logo on my live stream, or I'd love to have a discount code for the cards. Like I'm focused a little bit more on that stuff now because like, not only do I want to spread the brand, but I want to support a lot of the entrepreneurs and up and comers who are in the same place I was four years. And I by by no means am a big business. But it's like, I see that hustle and now that faded spade has some kind of presence or above the felt, like I want to make my time and my availability and how I can like work with some of those more like real, just entrepreneurial people, like more readily available. So I wish I would have said yes to more of those, you know, back in the first like, year, year and a half or two. I mean, to be fair, it's hard to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff in this, yeah. in this space. I know that like, we were talking in our pre-interview conversation about the podcast and sponsorship and that sort of thing. And I, I was just saying that like, you know, I had to build training to monetize the podcast. Like that was what I had to do because huh, I, I was not getting any support from like anywhere else. And so I, at some point I just realized, take responsibility. Like I talked about before, I am responsible for whether or not this thing fails and become, you know, get tunnel vision, learn the necessary skills, marketing, selling, content creation, course creation, all of these necessary things to build a business. And had I not done that, there would be no chasing poker greatness right now. You and I would not be talking because 
I would have told my wife, fuck this gig. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to make $20,000 a year. I'm just going to go back to grinding every day. Right. So, yeah, and, and I think that in this space too, the streamers, the content creators, the other podcasters, you know, who maybe haven't created the business model behind what they're doing, they struggle and they have almost minimal support in the poker world. And yet they're the people who are kind of the lifeblood of the industry, bringing in new people into this space. And it's like, you know, I, I guess that it's both good and bad that in some ways there's kind of lack of vision from the powers that be in the poker world that don't foster those relationships. But it's also like whenever you have success, like you have, you know, you do get to work with those people, uh, construct mutually beneficial relationships that just make sense from an incentive standpoint and just poker's better, healthier over the long term because of the folks that, uh, and of course I'm biased because I am a podcaster and a content creator, but I do think that we make the poker world a healthier space. Oh, hundred percent. It's one of the most entrepreneurial communities and industries that I've been a part of. Right. And I think that's just the nature of who we are as players and, um, you know, being a poker player in and of itself is very entrepreneurial. So it doesn't surprise me that that um, a lot of successful poker players strive to be entrepreneurs or are successful entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And we have like poker players have an innate high sense of empathy, just like in general, the people that I've met love human beings. We understand human beings probably yeah. because poker is a game of people. And so we have to like get in people's head all the time. That's sort of the process. So yeah, they're very helpful, loving. I mean, like you said, Berkey reached out to you straight away. Berkey was guest number one on CPG, right? Like he's yeah. just, he's one of those guys that he will do anything for the people that he likes. And, you know, that makes him a treasure to me and also makes it to where I would do anything for him as well. Yeah, and the community. And, and I think there's a good message there into what you were saying. Like, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable because an, as an entrepreneur, and as a poker player, like you're going to be uncomfortable a lot. Like you're going to be a lot more uncomfortable than you are comfortable a lot. And like, I'll give you an example. Like when, um, when I was really, really deep in the WPT uh, Hard Rock Seminole Poker Open, and it was like, you know, top one or 1%, 2% that were left. I was so freaking uncomfortable because I had never been in that spot before. Like so uncomfortable. And you almost had to force yourself to like, be comfortable in that spot. Right. And then like on, on a funny story, an entrepreneurial, like Darren and I, uh, Darren Elias and I, sorry, I'll use last names. <laughs> we're, we're in national Harbor. Right. And we were talking to national Harbor about working with Darren and above the felt and all this stuff and, you know, faded spade and Darren came in and we're in this big business meeting lunch talking about all this business stuff. And afterwards, like Darren won't mind me sharing this. Darren was like, dude, I was uncomfortable in there. I cannot do what you were doing. I can I cannot do what you were doing in that meeting. And I looked at Darren, and I'm like, that's how I feel when I'm on day three of a tournament. Mm -hmm. Whereas him, he's like got all the confidence in the world and he's comfortable in that spot. So, like to any poker player, any entrepreneur to to capitalize on what you were saying, like you've just got to be comfortable being uncomfortable and part of developing relationships like you talked about. That's uncomfortable sometimes because you got to spend time on it. You don't know if you're going to like the person, et cetera. And uh, I just think that's like a, a, a concept that isn't talked about a lot. Sure. You know, in poker or from an entrepreneur standpoint, 
And the more I talk about it, the more I feel like I'm going to add that into some kind of public speaking engagement <laughs> that we do. The being a, there being, you go. I'll get off my soapbox. Sorry. No, no, no. Getting, getting comfortable in the uncomfortable. I think it's a good thread for this episode. And also memories are created through uncomfortable situations. And I think that those are oftentimes our most cherished memories are when we're in high stress environment where the outcome is uncertain and we just don't really know what to do. And it's just your, your pulse is racing. I think that living for those types of moments is not the worst way to be as a human being. And yeah, like Darren is an instinctual business person, right? Like he hasn't ever been at these meetings, but if he was in 30 of them, he would calm down and I'm sure he would do way better. You know, it's part of the learning curve. Yeah. And he was great. Like, again, he had the natural instinct for it. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. He's, he's a pretty sharp guy. All right. So to wrap up, you know, tell us about project you're working on right now. That's near and dear to your heart. This is your chance. Give the high quality CTA. I, I got to go with the, the consulting work that I'm doing for BetMGM and the Party Poker US Network, man. It's, this will come out probably with, you know, a few days before the big WPT online Borgata Poker Open uh, happening on the Party Poker US Network in New Jersey. And it's a $3,500 main tour WPT event, right? So uh, player of the year points will be awarded. Someone's going to put their name on the Mike Sexton Champions Cup. And I just think this is a very unique situation among all these live tournaments that have been postponed to easily get to Jersey if you don't live in New Jersey. Um, Or if you live in New Jersey, this is probably one of the best value main tour um, poker tournaments that you're going to be able to play probably for the rest of the year on the Eastern coast, right? Like that's not marketing speak. It's just probably true. <laughs> like, so, so I hope people, you know, since marketing has started happening feverishly over the last five, six, seven days um, are aware of it. And I hope they, they actually get to New Jersey if they're not from New Jersey to play in this thing. And, uh, Sign up for the first time on the Party Poker US Network and try and put their name on the Mike Sexton Champions Cup, man, with the WPT. And where the heck do they go to sign up? So they can literally uh, follow um, the Party Poker US Network Twitter account. Um, It's at Party Poker US. There are going to be direct links and URLs to go uh, sign up for an account on any one of the skins we talked about. Uh, bet MGM poker, uh, Borgata poker, or Party Poker New Jersey, right? And all you got to do is go to one of those direct links. You're going to see information for the WPT 1 million guaranteed tournament. If you're not in Jersey, you can create an account right there. You can deposit via PayPal, right? Very easily. And then just make sure you're in Jersey when the tournament starts and, and you're playing. Awesome. And I don't know if there's like any sort of affiliate thing, but I'll hop on the affiliate train if that's a, a thing for these skins and add a click through on your show page when this episode comes out as well. Let's do it, man. Let's get the word out to the whole CPG community, man. And then, yeah, we'll talk affiliate. We'll talk, uh, you know, I'm kind of dealing with marketing right yeah, now. You're, for the you're like the guy, so I think. We'll you're the guy to talk out. to. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, man, it, it's been great having you on. I'm always appreciative and grateful for your time and energy. Can't wait to meet up in the real world. It's inevitable that it happens, you know, over the next 12 to 18 months or whenever. 
But um, thank you very much for your time and your energy, man. And we'll uh, look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you, Brad. Keep up the awesome work with CPG and all the training business. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.